Hi, everyone. I'm Sheikh, and welcome to Humans of AI, where we meet the people behind the tech that's changing our world. Today, I have a really special guest, Ali Shahed, who started his career as a telecommunications researcher, but for the past 10 years has been leading ML teams um, around the world. Ali, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. The, the very first question I have for you, Ali, it's something I ask all of my my guests, but um, if you had to describe your job to a five-year-old, what would you say it is? That's a good question. Um, maybe it's a good question because uh, my son asked me a lot, and he's <laughs> not five, but he's but he he asked me a lot, and I I struggle sometimes to explain what is it, but. Um, if I want to explain to the five-year-old is that um, around us, there are, like data is everywhere. And if the five-year-old asks me what is data, it means that I, I, can, I can tell that um, whatever that we do, we create as, as a human society, whatever we do, we create, uh, if, we, if we products, if we do some services, we create numbers and we measure things with number. We invented that as a human society to measure things. And the main reason is that we want to make sense of what's happening around us. For example, we, um, we measure temperature outside. And the reason that we do that, because it's not enough for us to say that it's cold outside or hot outside. What we want to know, we want to have with more accuracy that what is the temperature. Is it like a 56? Is it 66? If it is 70 something, I can go swimming, but it's like 60 something. I cannot go swimming because it's too cold. So we have these numbers everywhere. And uh, from temperature to, uh, to hours that we have, like we, we just divided the whole kind of like 24 hours. So we create numbers. And in the recent time, from maybe 70, 80 years, Ago, we we save them. We just we just save them everywhere. We just put them there, and and we want to make as as I said, these numbers help us kind of understand what's happening in the world, make sense of the world. Sometimes we kind of want to understand what's happening right now. Sometimes we want to understand what happened before, and sometimes we want to see what will happen. And this is like one of the biggest. Things that we do. So my job is this: I'm just looking at these numbers that human society generates, and try to make sense of the world. If there is a problem, I look at numbers and I figure out about them. And if something is not a number, I turn it to a number and understand it. So that's that's I can describe it. That's a great answer. It's one of the more macro philosophical ones I've heard. So it must be both a a blessing and a curse to be your son then. Uh, yes, <laughs> because probably he, he will come back and say, I didn't understand what you said. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, well, Ali, you've had a super uh, diverse career of working around various industries in various parts of the world. Um, can you, in general, tell us about your career story and how you landed where you are? Yeah. So, um, some of the career trajectories, if you, if you uh, ask a, pe a, a person that how did you do stuff or how did you end up here, 
they may have a more kind of deterministic way of saying it, and it's replicable. It means that uh, some people, they say, okay, so I went to this high school in New York, and uh, I graduated, and then uh, my dad was in Harvard alumni, so I just uh, went to Harvard, and then I dropped out. I'm talking about Zodiac, like Morisaka, for example. I, I just dropped out, and I just started a company, and I'm here now. Yeah? Mine is not like that. And this is a kind of a typical of people that who um, are born in like a outside U.S., especially like in Middle East and that places, because they have to figure out how to uh, the whole <laughs> thing that they're doing. Most of us. So I it sounds like my life too. Yeah. So so in in many kind of a period of times that I had my career, I I I decided what to, what I want to do. But in some stages, I had to do things that I didn't even like it, but I had to do it. But at the end, it kind of accumulated to the point that I'm here. So the reason that I said that is that uh, if somebody listens to what I did, just don't try everything that I did because some of them were not in this modernization anyway. But anyway, uh, so yeah, my my background is in electrical engineering. I, I finished my, ma- uh, my bachelor in, in Iran. I got the uh, power systems there. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I went to Finland. Um, I got um, I got accepted there for signal processing uh, as a master. I just went there, signal processing, and then signal processing telecommunication for PhD. Um, then uh, when I finished my PhD um, in Finland, it's a kind of really interesting country because, first of all, everything was free up to mm-hmm. that point. No student loan and that kind of things. And even uh, when I finished it, um, uh, there was this um, something called uh, PhD pool, what they call that. Hmm. They had this kind of system that in Finland, um, Ministry of Education, they had that one. And the idea was that you send uh, your thesis with everything that you've done, papers and everything. And yet each year they choose, I think like 15 to 20 people from the PhD pool from the whole Finland. Mm-hmm. And they give them a kind of one-year uh, grant. And the grant is for going outside Finland and do research there. Yeah. Like that. And the whole idea is that you have to find a place that hosts you. So I just went and I had a really long journey, uh, physical journey, actually, because I had to go around. Uh, to different countries and find the places that I want to talk to them. I talked to some, some people in Britney. I talked to some people in Argentina. Uh, talked people in UCLA. Mm-hmm. At the end, with the supervisor, I, I talked with my supervisor, and then we decided that I take the one in UCLA. So I, I took the money. I just went to UCLA. I stayed there for, I think, one and a half year. I did some research, some papers. Then... Uh, as like 90% of people in academia, uh, they, they get to the point that they, they have to decide. That, do you want to continue? At, well, most people, they have to sign a master. But then when I came to U.S., I just decided, okay, so this is the place to be. I mean, if you want to just do something, this is a place to be. I think for me, some people are different. No? Um, then I decided to um, look for academia. But then I realized that uh, with network that I don't have in 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 the U.S., it's really hard to mm-hmm. score a, a kind of a 
kind of nice place to be, kind of research. So then the, the other option was uh, going to um, um, industry. So, so because of that, I started looking for, and then I found a job uh, in, I landed a position in, in a company who was making chips, like in chips for Wi-Fi, um, Wi-Fi. And at the time, my particular uh, kind of work that I did for my, my PhD was really attractive for them, and they wanted me to help them uh, kind of build that uh, uh, kind of particular blocks that they needed for yeah. uh, this, uh, not part for Wi-Fi, but it's more for kind of a, these cable modems that you have at home now. Yeah. Um, then uh, I worked there for a couple of years, like two and a half year. We made, I made a couple of contributions there. Then I decided that, okay, so now, uh, and then uh, the reason that I moved to machine learning and data science was around, again, when I was doing my PhD, because was signal processing, we had some courses at the time. Uh, about neural networks at a time. Yeah. And when I had neural network, it was a long time ago. It was not cool at the time when I had that <laughs> So, but I, it was really interesting for me at the time. It was one of like a memorable one that I, that I had. And it kind of coincided that when I decided to, around like 2013, 14, that I, I was just looking at the, my next stage. I just wanted to go next step of my, my career. And then that was a time that Suddenly, this deep learning start was kind of uh, making noises, like uh, deep learning stuff. And I said, okay, so that's really interesting. I just went in and said, wow, I, I noticed there are lots of changes happened from the time that I had that course in my PhD and now that is deep learning. So then I said, you know what? I really like this. I did some research like this, and I went out and started looking for a kind of a... Well, at the beginning, I decided that I don't want to go start working because I, I knew that I, I don't know Python mm -hmm. at the time. I know lots of algorithms, which is transferable because yeah. signal processing, yeah. but I didn't know Python. So I just said, you know what? I start doing Python. So I, I kind of uh, waited. I kind of started learning Python, worked like uh, kind of a, did some courses, online courses and stuff. And then I landed a job uh, as a kind of a really junior. Uh, data scientist machine learning in the first startup that I'm working. Uh, I didn't have much experience, so it was and it was the first time that I was start working and I started with the startup. It was pretty fast paced. It was kind of chaotic, everything. And so anyway, um, I continued and then I went to another startup. Uh, that startup, I, I it was much better because then I was more acclimated with the startup mentality. We worked there, uh, that startup, uh, couldn't raise money. So after like uh, one, one and something year, exactly when I was going to go from like a data scientist to senior data scientist to manage a couple of juniors, the whole startup folded. So I had to just go and find another place. Then I went to uh, a company uh, that uh, uh, was an uh, insurance company. I worked there in the research part of it. And then after that, I went to another company, which was uh, it's a financial and a financial kind of sector. And uh, from there, uh, I went, the last job that I had was in, um, in, in Meta, 
mm-hmm. which was uh, kind of a um, related mostly to my telecommunication background, but a little bit to the kind of data science part because that's the kind of thing that they need. And yeah, so and and then the whole thing starts happening. So it means that um, what I did actually, what I considered in this last five six years, is more kind of uh, exploration. But the reason that, uh, but the, the common theme of the all, all thing that I always carried with me was basically the uh, the natural language processing. And uh, if somebody asked me that, why did you choose natural language processing as your passion. I would say uh, I don't have a really attractive answer for this. The main reason was that the first startup that I started, the work, uh, and I was learning Python, I was learning about machine learning, and the job that they wanted me to do was natural language processing. And I started that, and it was it was more kind of a, I start doing it, and, and then I liked it. So it was not like I liked it, and then I started doing it. So no, I just did it, and gradually I just realized that it's really interesting. Oh. And of course, uh, I continued in the background, even when I was doing it. Uh, yeah. It was insurance. I was always thinking about uh, machine, uh, this natural language processing, the limitations that I have, and that's why when I get to the point that I discovered about GPT two, GPT three, that came at at the time, and GPT, so I, I I just sensed that. In the sense that, okay, now I worked for six years now, and all the time I was hitting the wall with uh, with natural language processing. And when I heard about GPT 3.5, especially, and I tested it, and I said, oh, somebody just kind of blew a hole in that wall that I was that I was hitting all the time. And now it's the time to kind of go back and try all the things that I've done, but I failed. Because mm-hmm. of the tools that, that that was out there, so yeah, that's and that's why I'm working the past couple of months, maybe eight nine months. I should have my, my own ideas. Still, tell us more about that. Uh, my understanding is that your startup, which is still in stealth, you're um, uh, building consumer products using LLMs uh, extensively. Uh, one of the questions I would have about that is um, with so many different uh, great open source model architectures out there right now in building your own uh, consumer product, what was your, what's the decision-making process to choose which open source model to, to use? Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. Uh, at least for now. And the other thing is that, just a disclaimer, whatever I'm saying here, um, don't try at home. Because... <laughs> Because the because LLM is pretty new, yeah. In general, and everybody who's doing anything in this this area are experimenting. So don't take what I'm saying as advice. Because two months later, maybe it just completely changed the whole landscape. But for now, what I what I decided to do, which is much uh, kind of um, easier for me, is that. Uh, for now, I'm not really con- uh, concentrating on, on open source models right now. Okay. Because the thing realized that I realized that there are so many um, exploration needed on, uh, on how to build something with LLM, not the LLM itself, just mm-hmm. what do you want to build with LLM? Yeah. Means that take that and take it to people and solve some problem. 
uh, in, in society that I don't have time even to look at what kind of open source, but like wrestle with them. Like, okay, so is this good? Is it not good? So what I'm doing is that from MVP perspective or from um, proof of concept perspective, I limit myself to really small, like a closed source. Okay. These models that I know that at least they're they are performing at the top level as a benchmark. And, and because of that, for now, I'm building everything almost exclusively with, uh, with like ChatGPT mm-hmm. API. And, uh, and I, I kind of tried something with, uh, like, uh, so when I want to just do some exploration outside of it, I just tried the cloud, for example, from Anthropics. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, um, probably my next step will be looking at the, um, the same models or same type of these models, but now in GCP or AWS platforms, because now, uh, Vertex AI, we have some models there, like Google is just c- coming up with that. And then, so what I'm trying to do is that at least for this stage to building the POC, I'm working with close, the close, the close model, but I'm, Hundred percent sure, almost hundred percent sure that uh, in maybe at most six months uh, we will have uh, models that uh, you can efficiently mm-hmm. host yourself. Because one of the problems that we have right now is that uh, the price of the if you want to host um, uh, open source models, even small ones, small ones, is extremely expensive. Compared to ChatGPT, and I don't know how ChatGPT is doing it. I mean, OpenAI. I don't know how they manage to keep things low. Maybe it's just scale, the kind of scale that they have. I don't know. But um, if you want to have something uh, like, for example, there are this um, there is model Falcons, there's a this Llama two, um, and it's getting really confusing because. Um, I was reading about it actually because each of these models that that, that comes out, they come with a benchmark, mm-hmm. and they say, "Okay, so we are better than Llama two. We are better than this. You're better than that." But then, when you test them in practice, you realize that, well, oh, I don't know what they tested, but not all the things that they're saying exactly correct. Yeah? Because everybody's claiming is better than the, yeah, than the other one, and and it's really confusing now. And the thing that I read is that. Uh, with uh, those benchmarks that we had for natural language processing does not work anymore because uh, because we are way past those. Be- those benchmarks was what traditional machine learning models that, that we had. We are in a, maybe even I'm wrong. I don't know. But, but so far, I realized that all these benchmarks kind of doesn't make sense uh, when, you, when you look at them. Like, for example, they say that... Uh, and, and the ones that actually make sense, it means that, for example, Lama 2, seven, uh, like uh, this uh, 70 billion parameter Lama, which is the latest one that they had, uh, Lama 2, actually. Mm-hmm. So when it came out, uh, of course, it's really powerful model. It's from Facebook, from Meta, that they get. And uh, first of all, uh, it's, it's good. The performance is good. It's not exactly like ChatGPT 4 is more kind of ChatGPT 3.5. But then you realize that when you want to host this, it's so, so big, the whole, the whole model that, uh, from 
even for MVP, maybe it doesn't make sense. If you want to build something, make an API and connect it to some kind of, it's, it doesn't make sense you know, to have that on. Because of that, I am waiting for now yeah. to see that, uh, uh, like, for example, I know that Bedrock, uh, I think it's Bedrock in AWS, they started having, I think Lama 2 is there. So I'm, I'm yeah, it, they just like me like last week, they just put it there. And when you look at the price, it's still expensive, but kind of manageable. Okay, kind of equivalent, not equivalent to charging, but still kind of works. So yeah, that, that's my, my, my approach to open this open source. Yeah. And the other thing is that uh, even, uh, even these, um, these uh, the large language model, although they say that it's a general kind of thing, they can do whatever they want, whatever you want, they can kind of uh, write code for you, they can like, translate all this stuff, but not all of them are good in the same level and at every task. Mm-hmm. Like for example, I, I figured out that uh, for code, uh, I always go to ChatGPT4 because the codes are always kind of less painful to get those ones that we're making to actually to run. Uh, Bard, my experience was not that good because Bard is kind of a rich on Google uh, for code, but for writing and um, editing, Bard is really good. You can uh, you can use it really, really good for if you have documents. And you want to just uh, kind of chat with them, with the document, uh, I always go to Claude because uh, they have this option that you can upload your documents and just talk with them. And, and it's really, really powerful from that perspective. Um, so uh, that's my, my approach for now. But uh, probably in, in the next couple of months, I, I would choose uh, some of the tried and tested. I'm, I'm waiting for everybody else to test and let me know <laughs> which one, because I don't have time to go. Yeah. And, and, and there are some kind of a winners kind of coming out there. Like, for example, now um, there are some uh, news about this is company. I don't even remember the name, but they have this model called Mistral. Um, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. So that's a kind of a, seems that it's really powerful and small, which is an interesting part. Small and powerful. Then uh, there are some uh, kind of a f- uh, fine-tuning methods that they have now with quantization. It means that, and and what does it mean? It means that you can get the really small model and uh, kind of or or maybe large model, and then by quantization you can make it really small and you can steal it into. Some people say even edge devices you can put it. So I'm waiting for this transition part over. Because now, now, now we are in the position that everybody is just everybody with like a hundreds of uh, GPUs are training a, a, a kind of large language model and, and get it out. And I'm waiting for the, that steel string happens. And in the meantime, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with that large language model. Yeah. Then it go from yeah. there. If only there was a waitlist function on Hugging Face. I think the lines would be gigantic. Yes, yes. Actually, uh, yeah, Hugging Face also is one of my go-to places when I want to kind of, uh, uh, and, and one of the, I, I'm, I'm not sure your audience know that about that, but it's really good to know for them that uh, there are lots of models there. Yeah. And whoever put the model, they always have this kind of a small demo 
that you can just test your things. And if you have something in mind that, okay, so I'm looking for this particular application with this performance, you can always go there and do that. Google also did that for Vertex AI now. So you can have, uh, uh, I think, for a couple of models. You can go there and then you just write the prompts and just look. So it's really kind of, it's, I think it's just consolidating. Yeah. And it's make, it is becoming easier and easier for people to decide what models to take. But still, it's too expensive. I think uh, hosting um, and LLM, which is kind of uh, with the reasonable performance, is, is kind of really expensive. Are, are to um, uh, stay up to date on the latest and greatest things, are there any particular... Uh, sources that you like to follow there, either blogs or papers or whatnot, anything along those lines? Yeah. I think you need to be like a hover. Like, <laughs> you need to be like a vacuum cleaner for me. So, so uh, currently, I, have, I don't have like one, one resource. So what I have is that I have a couple of podcasts that I, that I follow. Uh, one of them is... Uh, from New York Times. I think it's a hard, it's a hard fork. I think it's from, okay. I, I don't know. It's, it's not advertised. They don't pay me. I just, I just <laughs> like it. So, so, so these guys, they are New York, New York Times uh, um, journalists, I think. They, they, they do about tech. And every week they have this really interesting one. So they, they and they are really insiders. So they, they just talk about the things that happen part and and mostly, not surprising, dominated everything with the LLMs and AI because that's what's happened. And there were like there a couple of other more in-depth um, uh, podcasts that I kind of from time to time I just go there and just I, I just browse the topics and it's, it's something interesting. I just go there and listen to that. Um, then the other things that I follow normally is that um, I have I have kind of a uh, really, um, I, I use Twitter a lot mm -hmm. just for that. And I have uh, a, a list that I have there for AI ML. And, uh, and I just use that. I just, I just like kind of every day I just go and say, oh, this is happening. This happening. And that's what I, uh, I, I recommend for people that you just go there in, uh, in Twitter or X now uh, and uh, find a couple of famous people like uh, Hinton and uh, like, um, like just a couple of famous people yeah. that, that, that everybody knows. And then from there, you can find other people that are really famous. And you gradually, you make your own list. And, uh, and then you realize that some of these people are the people that they are more kind of um, um, like theoricians. They are just the theoricians. They like to talk about theory and that kind of stuff. And then gradually, you find builders. Which is yeah. really interesting because builders are the ones that that probably you want to follow because they are like early adopters. They're like cutting edge. They just so when they say something, it means that probably when you see the tweet or that post that they have, you are the second person who actually know that because he just built it or she just <laughs> built it and you just saw it. So yeah. so that's a kind of interesting thing that we can do. In Twitter is really effective in that time, but. But yeah, and then of course I I also subscribe on some of the um, 
kind of uh, like Substack um, type of channels that I have. And from time to time, I got this, like every week I got emails from them that they wrote stuff and I just yeah. read. Huh. And yeah, so these are kind of uh, in general, I'm just uh, I, I'm from the, from kind of keeping up with what's, ha- what's happening. I used to look at the archives mm-hmm. uh, kind of, but then I, I realized that there are so much things happening. Archives. It's overwhelming fast. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's first of it's, it's so much, but at the same time for builders, I'm not sure it's really good there because what you want to do, you want to get something and just build something with it. Yeah. Uh, but archive is, first of all, almost everything there is, at least on evidence and stuff, are not peer reviewed. So it's just there. There's people put it there. So you don't know what, what you're seeing actually it's, uh, it's correct or not, unless you spend significant amount of time to read through, or you have a really good knowledge of that particular kind of this, this area. But from time to time, I, I read that, for example, when um, I think when Mistral came out, um, uh, they say that, oh, we have this model, which is, I think, 7 billion parameter or 13 billion parameter, but it, it's as good as something that like a llama, which is like 70 billion. And, and that's kind of, um, and then I, actually I saw it in Twitter. I saw on Twitter, somebody from that team said that, and I look at the, they put, okay, this is an archive. And I just went to archives, okay, that's the point that you have to look at what they did, no, because how is it possible that you can have a really small model work? And then you go there and realize, okay, they did something really interesting for the attention and you know, this method that they had. And, um, and of course, I didn't go deep. I just said, and then the good thing is that if you follow, um, again, in Twitter, if you follow um, like famous researchers and that kind of stuff, there is a really good chance that when that archive comes out in, uh, in a matter of weeks, one of those really gurus actually read it and then write a, and a small blog about it. And then, then you just go there and then just, uh, oh, now I understand what, what happened. <laughs> because when you read the paper, maybe you don't understand it. But when the guy said, oh, you understand. And the YouTube also. Of mm-hmm. course, there are, they have a couple of YouTube channels that, um, that from time to time I follow. And uh, mostly they are, they are the channels that they kind of, Steam through all the uh, interesting things that happen, and they take a couple of papers and then they explain it in a simple way, and we could understand it. And then if if I really interest interested in that one, then I go and read the paper. So uh, those are so um yeah, yeah. Uh, those are great tips. I really like the the analogy of that. You need to be a vacuum, just suck it all in. But the Challenge yeah. is being a vacuum is it also relies on you having a really good filter unless you just get way too stuffed. And so yeah. with that perspective, um, the last question I have for, for you is that for for someone who's just, say, graduating college right now and wants to get involved in the world of AI, there's so many things out there and so many different voices. What type of advice would you give them for or even someone mid-career looking to get into the AI world, what are some ways to filter job opportunities and where to start? Um, okay, there are two 
two different advice because some people are graduating from um, like master or like or bachelor or they just come out of this college, but their major is actually data science and machine learning. So probably they have a better idea what to do. And maybe I'm not the best person to give them advice because I was not in that situation. I, I, I was not in a situation that uh, when I entered machine learning and data science, I had some ideas. I, I had ideas, but from an algorithmic perspective, not the job market. Uh, one thing that I can tell uh, in general is that, first of all, don't commit to any technology. It means that don't say that, okay, so this is what I want to do with this particular tool. And I want to do it for the next 15 years. It's not going to happen. It means that whatever you choose, when I say, uh, like, don't come into tools. Tools are like, for example, when I started, uh, everybody was using scikit-learn. And then, and then when, when, when we come here, still many people use scikit-learn. Then TensorFlow came. And then they, then, uh, then, then gradually they realize that okay, TensorFlow, and then and then the uh, and then this kind of rival came. I forgot the name of it actually. So 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 anyway, these tools are coming and going. But most important things that people can do this right now is like there are some basic stuff that you need to know. Like for example, if you know about uh, let's say a classification, yeah, if you know. What's the concept of classification? If you know what's the regression, then there are tools out there, many, many tools that you can use and build that. If you know what's random foresters, if you know what's uh, like, maybe XGBoost is a little bit different because XGBoost is just like a tool and this method is the same. But anyway, uh, tools are not important. The knowledge is important from that perspective. So if you know, uh, the concept, then you can find the tools to build it. Even I'm not sure how long we are uh, now, Python is the king. But I don't know how long Python will be the king because things are coming in from the pipeline that they are saying that every six months you see that some company makes something and say, oh, this will dethrone Python. Mm -hmm. It didn't happen yet, but, but let's see. Let's see what happens. So this is a... Um, so this is from the from the tools perspective. Yeah. The second part is that um, let's do some exploration because, as I said, definition of a five year old data is everywhere, and and you can you can take data from everywhere and then kind of build things with machine learning and data science. So find a topic or the numbers that you actually care about. Like for example, if you, are, if you care about education, then explore some areas that what can you do some areas of education, what the science tools and machine learning. Or if you care about uh, um, healthcare, for example, just do that. But then don't be disappointed if you, if you go to some area and then you realize that, okay, this was not what I want. Because that's the exploration. Do some uh, kind of exploration first uh, for maybe a couple of years if you want. And then gradually you figure out what is that, what is it that you want. It means that you will find gradually that 
um, that area that, that, that you really care about. Some people already know when they're coming out, they know that they want to do something and it's good. That's fine. This is more kind of people that completely fresh. They have no idea. Yeah, so this is kind of a, um, uh, and the other thing is that um, you have to be ready for, uh, I, I call it dark side of the data science and machine learning. Because uh, when, you are, when you are at the beginning, uh, or when you are not even in, uh, there is this concept, or what they say that data science is like a sexy um, kind of job or something. But then when you go in, you realize that there are lots of uh, blood, <laughs> blood and tear kind of jobs that you have to do. Like, uh, and and the thing is that most of the time you are dealing with um, with real world data. And I always tell people that from outside, it looks like that 80% of the time you spend on building models and like 20% data is coming and then you just do it. But it's exactly opposite. It's 80% of the time, even in big companies, when you go there, 80% of the time is acquisition of data, gaining of the data, um, and uh, like putting in the sort that you can get something out of it. Because if you have bad data, your model will be bad, the output decision will be bad. So you need, you need to, so that's the kind of part that 80% yeah. of the time, a data scientist actually trying to uh, acquire and clean and kind of uh, keep data in a format that they can, they can actually be, be, build, build, build model with it. So don't get disappointed when you go somewhere and you realize that, well, you have to spend like six months building the data and then the model is actually four lines. Hmm. <laughs> you just four lines of code, you write it. And the interesting part is that this is what I just said was yeah. before LLM, you know? Because after LLM, I don't know even that four lines is necessary. <laughs> because what happens is that now you have this like child GPT now. You can easily take your data. It's limited data, but then you get to the point that you, uh, the open source models become more manageable. You can have it on-prem, probably, or on, on cloud for yourself. So you can get all the data that you have and just give it to LLM and say that, okay, now build the classifier for me. And you can build this for you. But if you have a good data, that's the whole thing. So that 80% is always there. But the building model is now becoming easier, easier, and easier, and easier to the point that maybe even you don't have to be a machine learning uh, expert to build it. Of course, you need to test what LLM said is correct or not, but then we are getting there. Actually, I did one, one example a couple of days ago as a test. I just uh, uploaded that data set, and I just said, okay, so right, uh, make a regression model for me to, to predict something. And it did. I didn't kind of go through and test it properly, but it built it. Just yeah. the, the code was there, it trained it, give me even what was the kind of uh, the, um, the parameter, kind of the quality parameter that I gave it with just like, yeah. Well, that, that uh, your uh, concept of uh, blood and tears in data science, that, that sounds like another great podcast episode to have right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a name. But yeah. 
Data science with blood and tears. <laughs> well, Ali, uh, thanks uh, so much for taking the time. Lots of uh, great advice from your um, life story from our, for our listeners there. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, what would be the best way to uh, get in front of you? Oh, um, I have I have um, I have Twitter accounts. Okay, great. Uh, my Twitter account is ML Hobbyist. It's like machine learning hobbyist. This ML Hobbyist. Awesome. And uh, it's, I, I use it mostly in Persian language, but the, I have an English account which is ML Hobbyist En, which is in English. And of course, they can send me email. I I, I would be happy to con- uh, kind of my my email is ali.shive at gmail.com. Cool. So, yeah. I'll make sure to in- the link to your Twitter there. Well, that's uh, that's all I got. Thanks again, Ali. Much appreciated. Thank you very much for having me. This podcast is brought to you by H10. Part about advanced technology that never changes is the need for the right people to design, build, and manage it. H10 offers just that with an on-demand talent and management service that covers all aspects of engineering, program management, and AI. Trusted by over 400 companies, including half of the Fortune 10, H10 is here to help lighten your load and make you the hero.